We're starting a, a series today on, on Advent in preparation. Basically, Advent means that in preparation for the birth of Christ. So you see some of the artwork and the candles that the ladies of our church have put together for us today. And we're going to be trying to, this concept of getting ready for Christmas, there's a lot of it. There's a lot of effort, a lot of time that goes into getting your homes ready and getting, just everything's ready. Moms do all kinds of shopping. Dads do all kinds of bad online shopping. Maybe, wait a minute, that may, may be just me. Uh, I, I need to honorably or uh, humbly, I should say, tell you I just got the, an award. The worst shopper ever. I think it's been official for a while now. Um, just to go back, Vicky's last birthday in October. I just kind of need to show you how good I am at this. I looked online and saw this nice box looking thing. And it had all kinds of boxes and candies and just everything you can imagine in this in this box, 70 bucks to get that to my house, but I didn't have to go shopping. So that's kind of worth it to me. And we got it, and I came home, and these were laying out on the cabinet. I don't even know what these are, but this was in it. Could be little pebbles, I'm not sure. Some red things, some yellow things, one of those candy things, and I have no idea what this is. But it was 70 bucks worth. I'm officially the worst shopper ever. And I'll share any of this with you that you want. Because <laughs> Vicky didn't want. She didn't work. <laughs> so we try. Dads try. And we should get some kind of points for trying in that area. You know, we decorate the trees and put those things together and we love and look forward to, I don't know about you, spending time with our family, getting our kids home and our grandkids home and going down to Grandma's house right after Christmas Eve here, we'll go to Grandma's house, my mom's house, and I don't know how many, 50, 60, I don't know how many people show up at that. It's just getting crazy. But uh, just so look forward to spending time and hanging out with our family. I know you are too. You saw the tree in the foyer. The ladies of our mission group have purchased that, and others have decorated it, getting ready for it. Uh, the kids' choir, you'll want to be here next Sunday because they're going to be singing. The kids will be singing in our worship. It'll be a kid's Sunday. And then the musical that you just heard a, a portion of will be on the 17th, a.m. and p.m. There's a lot of preparation getting ready for Christmas, and I know you've been a part of that. Too. On Christmas Eve at 5 o'clock, we're going to meet in here. It's going to be a very special time of worship. Right before you leave here and go to probably your family events, there's going to be some uh, hymn and uh, carol singing. We're going to do the finish the Advent on that evening. That'll be the final candle that we light. We're going to be having a time of the Lord's Supper, and there's going to be a candle lighting service. And we're going to try to do that all in about 45 minutes so you'll have time to get back to your families after that. So it, it's a very special night. As we look at Advent, as we get ready to start the Advent process, the candle, I'm going to light the, can, the first candle for today. 
This one's called the prophet's candle. It's very interesting. There's been about a little over 400 prophecies written in scripture about the first coming of Jesus Christ. Now if you add about the second coming of Jesus Christ, that number goes much higher. But there were four, over 400 prophecies spoken of about this birth of Jesus when he would come. This is from the Old Testament prophets. Isaiah, written some six to 700 years prior to the birth of Jesus happening, the prophet wrote these words. He said, Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign, a virgin will be with child, will give birth to a son, and will call him Emmanuel. Six to seven hundred years, just imagine. Our nation has been here a little over 200 years. And you know how much has happened here in that length of time. Expand that out to six to seven hundred years. And this prophet was able to say these very specific words. A virgin shall conceive and bear a son. Now it was fulfilled, it was written uh, about that 600 year ago prophecy was fulfilled and Matthew wrote it like this this is how the birth of Jesus came about his mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph but before they came together she was found to be with child through the Holy Spirit because Joseph was her husband and was a righteous man and didn't want to expose her to public disgrace for this unwanted pregnancy he had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he had considered this, the, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife because what is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son and you are to give him the name of Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. So a 600-year-old prophecy was fulfilled in Jesus. Exactly. Now if you take, I don't have the mathematical ability, but if you take of the 400 prophecies about the first coming of Jesus before he got here, and realize that every one of them were fulfilled in this one event, it's mathematically, it's astronomical, the possibilities that that many prophetic words would come true in one man. It's amazing the, uh, what God had, has done to give us this message. At the same time, uh, a contemporary of Isaiah was a prophet by the name of Micah. And Micah said these words, But you, Bethlehem, and Bethlehem means house of bread, Ephrathah, from the land of fruitfulness, means is what that means, through you, are, although you are small among the clans of Judah. Now remember who Judah was? From our covenant study. It was the line of David. It was the line that God kept in marriage covenant. He did not divorce Judah. He divorced Israel, remember? And through, he divorced uh, Israel, kept Judah in line. So through, through this pure line would be one born that would be the Messiah. So this was prophesied by Micah, same uh, contemporary of, the, of Isaiah. 
Out of you will come for me one who will be ruler over Israel, whose origins are from old, from ancient times. Micah spoke those words. Jump way ahead to the New Testament, and it was fulfilled in Luke chapter 2. Very familiar, but listen to what it says. In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. We could probably quote that together, couldn't we? Almost by memory. <clears throat> At the time uh, of, of Jesus' birth, birth was a Roman world. This was the first census that took place while Quirinius was governor of Syria. Everyone went to his own town to register. So Joseph went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea to get into the tribe uh, where, he's, where he came from, to Bethlehem, the town of David. See it being fulfilled back to Micah. Because he belonged to the house in the line of David, and he went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn son. Prophecy. That's why we lit this candle. In some candle ceremonies of Advent, the first three candles may be like a dark color, like a dark purple, or even black, because it represents the further away for the coming of the light through Jesus, the darker the environment. And so as we speak of the prophet candle, we're reminded of those things today. <clears throat> Can you imagine? I've thought some about the prophet's how did they know this? How would they know specifically the details? My mind is, did God just say, write this down because it's right? Or did God put some, plug something into their head, that they, an information they didn't know? Did God just plug something into them that they wrote? Did they like Paul in the New Testament or John? In the Revelation, did the Lord take them out of our space, time, and move them to another realm? Paul said he took me up to the third heaven. Remember that? Took them out of this thing, and, and third heaven was the abode of God. So he took them out of heavenly realm into the abode of God. And what Paul was saying, I saw things, I heard things, I had words I can't even tell you. I did, he did not give me permission to tell everything that he showed me. Have you ever thought about that? Being a prophet? And all, all of a sudden the Lord either call, calls you out or in a dream takes you to a place and he says, look, see what's getting ready to happen. That's what he did to John. In the first of the year, I'm going to do a series about what John saw ahead of us. It's going to be very interesting. So I want you to plan to be a part of that. God has always used some signs. He's used these prophets to point the way to deliver a message to his people. God always, listen to this, even past, present, and as we look at to the apocalypse or the coming of Christ in the future, he does not, will not do that in darkness. He always gives his information to his people. He prepares his people. He always does. Now, here's the question. In the birth of Christ, we have a sign from God, but what is the sign? 
What is the sign that came from this birth? First of all, if you're making notes, write this down. It is a sign of God's power. The birth of Jesus was not a normal birth. It's supernatural birth. I'm not a scientist, but can you imagine this? Evidently, God chose Mary. This is outside of Scripture, so don't hold this as true. But I think he chose her because of the purity of a bloodline. Of the the tribe of Judah. And there's a purity in that bloodline. He chose her to place some form of supernatural seed. Can you imagine this? Human DNA strands at operation. And then the Holy Spirit then implanted in this uh, line of Mary, of the line of David, which would come this Messiah. God implanted a part of his DNA into that DNA to create this Messiah. It's amazing to me, the concept of that. That God came from his throne of heaven and took a process pathway down into our very humanity to pay the price that God knew we couldn't pay. Into a broken, sin, messed up environment. God took all of that effort. And for him it may have been a half second of thought. But from my concept, how much thought went into the entirety of that process and that message. It's a sign of power. He told us, and this doesn't happen, a virgin will conceive and will bear a son. Now, there are some people say as virgin meant they were just not married before. No, I, it, it means there was no sexual intimacy in Mary. She, there was nothing there that would have, could be messed up. And the birth of Jesus is this miraculous event, unlike anything the world has ever known or ever heard of. In the celebration of Christmas, we celebrate the fulfillment of this prophecy. Isaiah. Micah and many others said this is going to happen. And we saw it happen 2,000 years ago. Now for us, we're on this side of it. When we celebrate Christmas, we're celebrating the fulfillment of prophecy. It's a big deal to think that through. Jesus, being God in the flesh, came and dwelt among us, being born of the Virgin Mary. So it is a sign of power, but it is also a sign of God's love. You remember what the prophecy said his name would be, Emmanuel? That meant God himself would take up dwelling or residence with us. God became flesh and dwelt among us. He's going to appear in human form, the prophets would say from the past. You'll probably think back as you would, as the Lord would speak to individuals or appear to individuals in the Old Testament. In Genesis, we're told that God walked in the garden with Adam and Eve. There was this encounter. Later, we've heard that Abraham, as a weary traveler, uh, God appeared to him. So what's so unique about this appearance of Jesus? The God of the Old Testament put on the form of human flesh 
to live among us. That's kind of a big deal. It, it, it changed everything in history. It changed everything. You all remember a verse that says, it's about this incarnation, that God so loved. See, he's a God that represents power, but he is a God of love. God so loved the world in our broken condition that he sent his only begotten son or himself born of of human flesh and dwelt among us. That he, this, this message that we have in 316, that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever, open invitation, would believe in him, would not have to perish, but would have everlasting life. The simple message of the gospel, of Christmas, of the prophecy candle. <clears throat> Paul tells us about this picture of, what, of God became, becoming man. He wrote it in Philippians, and I want you to kind of think through it with me. If you have your Bibles, go to Philippians 2, 6 through 8. I'd like for you to, as we read through this a bit, and we're not going to go through the entirety of this little passage, but I call it the stair steps from heaven to earth. And you'll see how God took steps and became like us along the journey. Who being in the form of God did not consider it robbery to be equal with God. Seven. But made himself of no reputation. This is Jesus now. Made himself of zero reputation and took on the form of a bondservant coming in the likeness of men and being found in the appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death on the cross. Did you see this? He went from, the, from God to the cross and all the steps downward to be here with us. One author I was reading, I think caught it when he said, Jesus endured the human birth to give us a new spiritual birth. He occupied a stable that we might in the future occupy a mansion. He had an earthly mother so that we could have a heavenly father. He became subject so that we might be free. He left his glory to give us his glory. He was poor that we might be rich. He was welcomed by shepherds at his birth, whereas we at our birth are welcomed by angels. Remember that passage? It talks about there's a celebration in heaven around the throne when one that was lost is found. He was hunted by Herod that we might be delivered from the grasp of Satan. That's kind of this paradox. This great trade-off we looked at in the covenant where we trade off our weaknesses, our brokenness, and our sin for all that God has given us. Not only is it a sign of God's love, but the last thing here is it it is the sign of God's faithfulness. Dr. Charles Ryrie uh, wrote a commentary, and in that he wrote these words. That according to the laws of chance, it would require, oh here's, here's those numbers, it would require 200 billion earths, populated by 4 billion people each, to come up with one person whose life could fulfill 100 accurate prophecies without any error in sequence. Yet the scriptures record not 100, 
but over 400 prophecies that were fulfilled in Christ's first coming alone. It can't happen except for the orchestration, the power, the love of God. It can't happen without His faithfulness. Hosea the prophet said this, he points to Jesus' escape and to coming out of Egypt. Jeremiah, the prophet, in, verse, in chapter 31, points to the grief and the sorrow that was to come on Bethlehem mothers and their refusal to be consoled in spite of their being um, given a good reason to do so. Remember, that's when the children were being killed to try to get rid of this Messiah. In John, the prophet the prophecy of John says this, tell us that this Jesus that became a human baby that grew into our Savior was God in the beginning with all creation. Here's how he said it. In the beginning was the Word. And that Word became flesh and dwelt among us. That prophecy. And the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God and the Word became flesh and made His dwelling here with us. Can we take just a moment I want to ask if you can make this personal for just a minute. I know we've been listening to a message that relates to, to uh, men, ancient from our day, who was able to tell specifically about this message of the Messiah. And in doing so, we have a chance to kind of separate that from us. But I'd like to pull it back to where you would pl apply it to ourselves personally. Isaiah said, therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. That's personal. The Lord himself will give you a sign. I want to look at a couple of truths here as we get ready to close. First and foremost, God is always, this is what we've been saying for a while. God is always, 100% of the time, faithful to his word. His word is true, it's sure, it's unchangeable. It is truth. And so with that, with that, we need to keep it in mind. The promises you read, those comforting promises, in the midst of your trial, in the midst of your grief. The great shepherd in Psalm 23. As I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, and many of you have gone through that this year with lost loved ones. There is a word given that the Lord in the midst of that, that death journey is going to walk closer to you and show himself to you in ways that you've never known him before. He said, I'll help you lie down in green pastures. I'll restore your soul. That was one part of my journey. A difficult time. I, I think I've told you about it. But there was that part in that message. He says, I'm going to make you lie down in green pastures. I'd never seen that before. He said, I'm not going to lead you and let you lay down. I'm going to make you lie down in green pastures. Rest. I'm going to rest you there. Second, Jesus was God coming to you as a man. You couldn't save yourself. Many of us have tried to be good. Others haven't tried quite as much, but we tried to be good, but we just can't, and we know it. We fail, and we could never live up to the standards of God. The gift that God gave us was a gift of hope, a gift of freedom, 
a gift of salvation. And it's personal. It's for you. For all people. The Hebrew word is in the word is the word you, Isaiah 7, 14, is plural, meaning it's it's open to everybody. Like John 3 16. Whosoever would come. Remember this. The, the angel said to the shepherds who were watching the flocks at night. It is announcing the birth. But the angel said to them, do not be afraid. I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all of the people. I'm so glad I, that that's in there. Because when we studied about Jesus coming to redeem Israel. Do you understand that if, if the Lord didn't add on to that, we would be, most of us, would be excluded. I mean, we may, uh, in this house, we may have Jewish blood. We may not even know it. Or we might, you know, we might be Israelites in our genetic ancestry. We don't know. Because they were spread all over the world. But if it wasn't, we wouldn't have a chance. There would be no hope for us. And this message would be great for Israel and me, a Gentile, would be over here like a mess of no hope. But he said, I came that this is for all. All who will, by faith, receive it into their life. God loves us so much that he sent us a personal Christmas present in the form of his son. This Jesus grew to be a man. He died on the cross to pay for my sin, personal, your sin. God raised him from the dead. And then, after a period of time, resurrected him, raised him from the dead, and then he lived on the planet for a while with his disciples. And then he ascended into heaven. And this is what we're going to get into in January. He ascended into heaven and said, I'm going to come back like this. There's going to be a second coming of Jesus Christ to this planet. And a lot of people say, we've been waiting forever. That's not going to happen. Even the early disciples were saying, Lord, when's this going to happen? It's been 2,000 years, but just remember, that's like two days for God. And he's going to return. And like I said, in January, I'm going to t we're going to talk about what the scripture says about that return. All the elements and all the signs related to it. What it's going to be, how you, be re how you can be ready. But this is personal today as we come to the Christmas season. He gave you a present. It was his son. What are you going to do? It's always the question. What are you going to do with the son? Vicky, come. What are you going to do with this personal gift that these prophets told us about? What are you going to do at this stage of your life? Because, you know, we can hear this information, get drowsy and dreary because we've heard it before. Or we can determine personally, I want to ask you, what do you need to do with this baby that was born? This Savior that died for you? Is your life going through some of the most difficult days of your life? Are you, have you struggled with hopelessness? Silent hopelessness? That's the worst like I said a week ago, go ahead, Vicky and I buried a good friend, dear friend of ours, in a deep place of hopelessness. And a lot of us hide that. 
We'll cover it. We'll dress it up. We'll put, you know, you've seen that commercial where they put that sign, that depression sign to kind of hide the, the difficulty. And we'll put up the little signs in front of our face. But our hearts might be at the place of just broken hopelessness. By the way, that's the worst condition humanity can face without hope. What I'd like to tell you today, the prophet a long time ago said there's something coming for you. Wouldn't it be amazing that all the way back, many centuries back, it was spoken, play this with me, that on this particular day, you would be here and would hear that story and you could take the hopelessness and by faith receive the life of Jesus Christ. Wouldn't that be cool? He's still doing that every day. We got to see those, those guys. Were they in Japan? And see those guys in a doctor's office. That that message that that prophet's talked about is coming alive, being birthed again. Hope is restored. And that hope is for you. Personal. It's a gift.